Registration is now open on What's Your Name's Yucatan Tour 2024. Join us in Mexico as we walk in the footsteps of Zazel Ha, learn traditional Mayan cooking, tour Mayan ruins, snorkel with sea turtles, and so many more off-the-beaten-track adventures with our wonderful little band of kindred spirits. Spots are going fast, so sign up now on our website at whatsyournamepodcast.com. We can't wait to see you there. This episode was sponsored by our patrons, Julie Gray, Jessica Smith, Kim Hokinson, Jan Elise Cannon, Mary Jones, Jill Harrigan, Jamie Lang, Maria Sanchez, Valerie Jacobson, Heather McKinnon, Chantel Oliver, Caitlin McTaggart, Tamzane Weir, Noli B, and Katrina and Kristen. Thank you so much for being our sponsors. We couldn't do it without you. Hi, Olivia. Hi, Katie. We've entered today's story at a quiet, holy moment. Mm. It's 1567, west coast of Ireland, and the noble Lady Grania O'Malley has just given birth. <gasps> oh. Mother and baby are both perfectly well. It's a small, cozy space. Wooden floors and walls, woolen blankets. We'll call him Tibbet Nelong, she says, which means Toby of the Ships. Hmm. Whoa, I'm feeling a little woozy. Are you? <laughs> Hold on. Are we Are we on a on ship? A ship? <laughs> Do you hear that? Sounds like shouting. Hold on. Hold on. Wait. Is there oh, a battle going on <laughs> outside? Wait. O'Malley. <laughs> we are. I know what ship we're on. A man bursts into the room. Whoa. <laughs> Captain, you're needed on the deck, he says. <laughs> Lady Grania's eyes shoot daggers. <sighs> Take the baby, nurse, she says <laughs> as she leaps out of bed. Can't a woman even give birth in peace? I leave you on your own for one single battle. <laughs> I do apologize, Captain, he says, and she's off into the fray. Avast, me hearties, you've chosen the wrong day to attack <laughs> the Pirate Queen of Canark. <laughs> oh. And what happened next has passed into legend. She won the day, as she had so many times before, and she would so many times after. <laughs> She achieved almost mythical status, even in her lifetime. The infamous Grania Whale, Grace O'Malley. <laughs> in fact, so legendary were her exploits that by the 20th century, most people believed they were too good to be true. <laughs> Delightful fantasies, to be sure, but none of them actual history. <laughs> Until the 1990s, when a young historian, Anne Chambers, knocked on the door of the grand Westport house in the west of Ireland. Hello, Lord Altamont, she says. Are you aware that you and your five daughters are 14th great-great-great-granddaughters of Grace O'Malley? Yes, the Grace O'Malley. <laughs> and uh, he let her explore the house looking for any possible records. And in one of the closed rooms upstairs, she found a 16th century chest. What? Busted it open. 
And inside was a treasure trove of 16th century documents about mm. the life of <laughs> Grania Whale, proving not only was she a real person, but also, of course, that truth is better than any fiction. <laughs> I'm Katie Nelson. And I'm Olivia Mickle. And this is What's Her Name? Fascinating women you've never heard of. Come with me to Westport House. Okay. Grand Mansion, where the descendants of Grace O'Malley still live. Hmm. And meet the delightful Catherine Connolly. So my name is Catherine Connolly. I'm house supervisor of Westport House. Um, I look after the collection here. Westport House is a beautiful estate, open to the public. My background, I'm a historian. I've been working here for over six years and I've enjoyed every single second. So mm. it's a great spot. And the team there have dedicated themselves not just to telling the story of the Georgian house. So it was built a lot later. It's mm. Georgian. But also of telling the story of Grace O'Malley herself. She was, she was just completely written out of Irish history. And that was simply because she was female and but she was, had made such an impact um, on this, not just this area, but her name. Um, Grace Malley was known from Spain all the way to Scotland. Like, I mean, she was just very good at being oh. a pirate. So she was, <laughs> and I mean, you know, when, when, when guests come to the house here and, you know, you say, have you heard of Grace Malley? And the majority of them have not. Oh. You know, and then you say, well, she was this fierce pirate you know you kind of go you just couldn't make this stuff up it's no, brilliant yeah. you know so <laughs> Grace was born in around 1530 um, and as I say she was the daughter of the chieftain Owen O'Malley the O'Malleys ruled Connacht that's the west of Ireland. So, like, if you picture Ireland, it's sort of shaped like a wonky diamond. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Connacht is the left side of the diamond sticking out. Hmm. It's the wildest part of Ireland, and it always has been. It's, like, rocky and windswept. And that's why I keep going back there, because, <laughs> oh, I love it. And it's really rough going to try to eke out a, a existence from the land there. The O'Malley motto is by land or by sea. And from her very birth, Grania, which is anglicized as Grace, mm. was destined for this wild life by land and sea. There's all these stories as well, which was very young that she was you know, fascinated by the sea. She wanted to learn all about it and be part of it. Her father had a ship, he had a merchant ship, and he used to do a bit of sailing and trading and fishing. And she wanted to be part of it and be on the ship, but she wasn't allowed um, on the ship as it was seen as unlucky. Females were not allowed on, on board ships. So she, she cut up all of her long red curly hair and she dressed up as a boy. She snuck on board her father's ship. And where she was discovered that she was on board ship and he decided, well, this, this lady's going to do things her way. And he taught her everything that he knew about the sea and about sailing. But this is the, the story of where she gets her nickname Grania Whale, which means bald Grania from cutting up all of her hair. And that's where her nickname came and stuck with her. <laughs> that's so great. You have wild red curly hair, Olivia. Would I do. You chop it off to fulfill your dream? Um, yes, but not that dream. I mean... 
That sounds scary. <laughs> In reality, though, we actually have no idea what she looked like. Wow. So there's oh. no known image of Grace O'Malley because um, she was a pirate and she didn't want anybody to know what she looked like. Oh. So there is descriptions of wild, red-haired, red and, right. you know, this, you know, but... We try to piece together maybe what she may have looked like. Um, there's two statues in on Westport Estate of Grace O'Malley, but it's um, and her image was based on her great great granddaughter's portrait that hangs here in the house, Maud Burke. Ooh. It was the closest we could get to maybe to what she may have looked like. So we don't actually know what she looked like. Really, if you think about it, like wild long red hair on a pirate ship is probably like a. A bad What's idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a fire trap. It's a fall hazard. It's yeah. a... <laughs> it gets in your eyes and then you can't stab the man yeah. in the chest. So, yeah, probably mm. not. Well, whatever. That's how she looks in my mind and in everyone's mind. Yeah. She had the spirit of long, curly, wild red hair. Yeah. There's all these romantic kind of pictures of her, but you know, but her skin must have been like leather. Do you know, Ooh. out in the sea, she must have been dressed like the men. She, she just, it just seems incredible and, and um, very, very strong, extremely strong. She was her father's only heir. And she grew up in that wild beauty of Clue Bay, west coast of Ireland. There's about five O'Malley Tower houses around the Clue Bay area. Words cannot describe this place. I mean, <laughs> William Thackeray, he came the closest that I've found. He visited in 1842, and this is what he said about Clue Bay. It forms an event in one's life to have seen that place. So beautiful is it, and so unlike all other beauties that I know of. Wow. And there's 365 islands in Clue Bay, one for every day of the year bright blue where the sea meets the sky. She doesn't know it at this point, but she is about to live out the sunset and the extinction of the old Gaelic way of life. Hmm. And when she was only 16 years old, it was tradition for women to marry very young, and she married the son of a chieftain from County Galway, Donal O'Flaherty. Um, he was also known as Donal of the Battles because he loved to have a good row with the neighbours and he did this quite a lot. But she moved to Galway with him and she had three children. She had uh, two sons and a daughter. But when she was only about maybe about 24 years old, she was left a widow. He was killed by the notorious Joyce's of Galway. Being a, a female, she had no rights. So she ended up coming back here to Westport with her three children. Really, seemingly, some of her husband's clan came down with her. So she was. She seemed to have taken over nearly his role of chieftain um, and become very strong in her own right while she was in uh, Galway. And this is where they say that she took over the running of her father's ship. And this is where she decided pirating was the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> Yo-ho! <laughs> How much of that can we do before we get sued? That's what I wondered. A pirate. <laughs> A different kind of piracy. <laughs> it's 
she would have had to learn how to how to wield a, a sword um, in order to survive. And, and she would have uh, she had three lightweight galley ships. They were very fast, very swift boats. Um, and she, yeah, she used to charge a fee or plunder or whatever she needed to do to get by. But again, it must have been just a fierce, strong personality yeah, and a, yeah. a will to survive. To have to kind of learn how to defend and uh, how to wage war oh. and terror. <laughs> because if she didn't, it would have been done to her. So, yeah. you know, yeah. Boy, she succeeded. She absolutely did. Yeah, absolutely did. So, yeah, I'd say if you met her, you'd be absolutely terrified. I think I would be terrified too. But I could probably in a very, oh my God, she's brilliant, but yeah. <laughs> don't look sideways at me, please. I'd be afraid. Maintenance by land and sea. That's the way she describes it. <laughs> it's really tribalism. Mm. It's all she wants. Defending her, her clan, defending her people and providing for her, her clan. That was her, must have been her goal. And that was the reason she was doing what she was doing. And what a time to be coming of age in Ireland because the English were coming. Yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember the Tudor invasion that ended St. Bridget's eternal flame? Yes. In Kildare? This yes. is that. Yeah. And it was all about survival. Ireland would be very tumultuous in the 1500s, you know, and, and she was defending, defending, defending mm. all the time. Not only were the British coming in, but the clans used to fight each other constantly. And this is actually how the British got in uh-huh. through this. Clans fighting each other. They were so busy at war with each other when they should have all come together. She would have been surrounded by war and battle. And all of her castles are right at the edge of the sea. Five castles. But when I say castles, I don't mean sprawling Disney palaces. <laughs> Irish castles, they call them tower houses. Mm. And that's, I mean, if you can picture like a very tall, skinny stone box, <laughs> four stories usually, no windows. <laughs> um, the door is usually on the second story so that they can close it up and burn the staircase. And then they're basically in a panic room. Mm. Those are Irish castles and they're everywhere. <laughs> This house is built on the ruins of one of her castles. Its dungeon is still down below, oh. and you can wander through it. Very eerie indeed. Mm. Uh, yes, yeah, so the family would have lived near the top, and, and the dungeons would have been the, the lower part of, of the tower house. Do you think she really locked people up in there? It's a hard one to answer. The, the only thing is that kidnapping was rife, and that's how they did business. Back in the day, you kidnapped your enemies family and you held them ransom to get what you wanted and it happened to Grace her youngest son tipping along and her, her half-brother Donal Pipa were kidnapped and she went to plead for their lives and that's what they did people were leveraged so who knows wow. you'd imagine that she was uh, she was so fierce that she had probably a few bodies down there for for uh, for backup if she needed it yeah. you know so yeah <laughs> do you feel connected with her working um, here and absolutely here? I mean Catherine Connolly actually lived in the house for a period. When I look out the Westview window and of, of Westport House and you're looking out onto Clare Island and thinking, you know, like she would have been here looking out at her other island, you know, praying her, her sea is as I'm sure she would have considered it all of hers. Mm. Um yeah, just I just think she's and she has she was so influential and so protective of her area. That is just, it's just lovely to think that, yeah, I'm standing probably where she was, you know, 
waving out the window. Yes. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, incredible, incredible lady. Some of her castles still stand. Ooh, and there's actually a great ballad uh, with some of my favorite lines about Grace O'Malley. I'm going to read it to you. Let me find it. She left the close-aired land of trees and proud McWilliam's palace. That's like the king's palace. Mm. For clear, bare Clare's health-salted breeze, her oarsmen and her galleys, and where, beside the bending strand, the rock and billow wrestle, between the deep sea and the land, she built her island castle. favorite castle was on the edge of the mainland. It's called Rockfleet Castle, still there, haunting. And there's a great story about this castle. The bedrooms of tower houses are always the very top floor. The story goes, you can actually point it out when you see the castle, <laughs> that there's this little kind of slit, uh, arrow slit in the top floor of the castle. And they say that she would run a rope from her ship through that little arrow slit and tie the rope to her toe <laughs> while she slept so that she could feel the rhythm of the waves. Wow. And maybe also know if somebody was attempting to steal, steal her, her ship. Wow. <laughs> She got married for a second time. She married a man called Richard Burke. Um, and he, the two of them had a very powerful couple. And they had another child, her fourth child, another boy called Tibbet Nalung, or Toby of the ships. Little Toby of the mm-hmm. ships when she was 37, in the middle of a battle. Her, her crew were losing and she ended up coming up and defending her boat. And they, you know, managed to chase off the, the pirates. She's gone, I can't even have a baby in peace, you know, um, without having to, to, to rescue everybody. But, you know, but she must have just been so charismatic. And together they built a wild life. She raided from Scotland to Spain. <laughs> All along the Atlantic coast, she was known absolutely everywhere. <laughs> she had a fleet of ships. She had a million hiding places. And you like this, the literature nerd that you are. Ah. She once met Philip Sidney and the Earl of Essex. Aw. Both of them, like, famous courtiers of yeah. Queen Elizabeth. Yeah, very influential voices in the Elizabethan era. And when they were young, they were traveling with Philip Sidney's father, who was a diplomat. <laughs> so they're just like these young, impressionable guys traveling the <laughs> wild west of Ireland, and they met Grace O'Malley, and apparently they were just completely smitten with her. <laughs> and they went back to court armed with tales of piracy and daring do. Wow. <laughs> None of them said what she looked like? No. Can you believe it? Then she wasn't bald or they would have mentioned it. Good point. Unless she's always wearing a hat so they wouldn't know. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Tales like this one. She's on Clare Island on St. Bridget's Day. Aww. And I love this. She's actually making a pilgrimage to Bridget's Well. Wow. On Clare Island. It's uh, such a cool connection because there she is a thousand years after St. Bridget. Wow. She's observing the holy day of this holy woman, Mm. this 
female saint of Ireland. Love it. Right before it's about to end. Exactly. Or maybe it could be after hmm. the English have already ended the eternal flame. Hmm. She might be out there on Clare Island like, forget it, I'm going to do it. You're a pirate. You do what you want. <laughs> yeah. But she's not really that religious because, so the story goes, she's almost to the well it's this like rainy, stormy day, and the the ocean is just churning up a storm. And word arrives that there is a ship which is foundering on the coast just off the end <laughs> of Clare Island. And immediately she's gone. She's like, forget the well. She's... Thanks, Saint Bridget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, I didn't think of it that way, but yeah. Hops into her galley goes out into the storm in the teeth of a gale. She's not afraid. She's hmm. not going to wreck. She's going to go and claim the wreck. Um, but by the time she got there, the ship is already wrecked. She orders her men to just grab all of the loot, which is still floating around. And she finds a shipwrecked sailor who <laughs> is like clinging to some driftwood. And she's smitten. She <gasps> loves him. So she saves him. They fall in love. They start to build this beautiful life together. And then a neighboring clan actually murders him. Aww. And she spends the next year exacting revenge. First, she murders everybody who had anything to do with the murder of her lover. But then she goes farther and she just claims all of their land. She claims all of their castles. She just, like, wipes them out. Don't Which I guess is cross. what you'd expect of a great pirate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's another famous story that I think Philip Sidney and the Earl of Essex, they must have, they must have shared this story with Queen Elizabeth. I love it. By the old Brehan laws, all landowners are duty bound to offer hospitality to any other <laughs> landowner who is passing through. doesn't matter who they are. So she stopped at Castle Hoth. So seemingly she was on one of her trips home. She was tired and hungry. And when she went to that Hoth Castle, she knocked on the door and the servants opened, opened up and said, no, Lord Hoth's at his dinner and he's not to be disturbed. And she was absolutely furious. And on her way back, she um, picked up the grandson she found the grandson of Lord Hoth and she took the child and brought him back here um, and that's, that's where I say these people as leverage and anyways with lots of pleading and as sorrowfulness by Lord Hoth she released the, the child back um, but demanded that there be a place set for her at his table um, every single day and to this day they still set um, a, a place at the table for Grace O'Malley she was just great I mean just, it's just so good <laughs> to this day I would too don't mess with her even yeah. even the ghost of Grace O'Malley I'm not uh -huh. interested in angering anyway all of these tales amazingly they made their way back to the court of Queen Elizabeth <laughs> herself she is hearing these stories of this powerful red-headed <laughs> woman who is wild but also principled <laughs> and I mean Queen Elizabeth like never left she never left England. Yeah. She never could. Who was she, do you know? And trying to, you know, not just pick the, the Disney version of her, but the real wild. I mean, she must have been just wild. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she coincides with the, with the wild Atlantic way, the, you know, the sea, the power of the sea. And she, you know, even, you know, the, the, her navigating by stars at night and her knowledge of how to read the weather, how to read the sky. Um, do you know, this this woman just was 
incredible. Do you know, she just, and to be able to lead all these probably just wild men as well, do you know? So, but she must have just been so charismatic um, really, really strong. In 1583, her second husband, Richard Burke, died of natural causes. She took command of everything, all of his lands, all of his men, all of his castles. So she is incredibly powerful. <laughs> Meanwhile, England is having a rough time taming <laughs> Ireland, <laughs> especially in the West. Super embarrassing. <laughs> so in comes a new batch of governors tasked with really bringing the wild Irish to heel. <laughs> Enter a maniacal nemesis, the most villainous villain that you could ever imagine, Richard Bingham. A man called Richard Bingham became governor of Connacht and really, just to put it mildly, was not a nice man at all. And he really <laughs> seemed to target Grace because she was, um, I suppose she was a thorn in his side and she was going to be the, the bane of his, of his life. And I think he thought if he could get her yeah. under control, it showed that he meant business, that he was, you know, ah, yeah. don't, don't mess with me. Um, he, but he really was a cruel, um, cruel man um, and very adamant to get her, you know, and, and to, to finish her off. She has met her match, both in sharp strategic thinking, but also in ruthlessness and in, like, unflappable bitterness. <laughs> and this is a showdown to the death. You know, and he, he really made her life hell. He murdered her oldest son. And he murdered Owen in an especially cowardly way. We actually have a description of it hmm. by Grace O'Malley herself. Okay, so Richard Bingham came to the mainland right against the said island, calling for victuals. Whereupon the said Owen came forth with a number of boats and ferried all the soldiers into the island where they were entertained with the best cheer they had. The said Owen was apprehended and tied with a rope. The next night, being fast bound, the said Owen was cruelly murdered, having 12 deadly wounds. Governor Bingham declared martial law, and then he could do whatever he wanted, whatever yeah. he thought necessary. He rounded up basically every leader and just summarily executed them. Jeez. He captured Tibbet Nilong, Toby of the ships, who by hmm. this time was a young man. And this is, this is extra nefarious. He didn't just kill him. He sent him to Northern Ireland to be raised by an Englishman oh. in the proper English way. Oh. A sort of evil genius brainwashing. Yeah. <laughs> and the and worst when, kind of insult to her. Yeah. Worse than killing him yeah. even. Like, I'm going to take your son and turn him against you. Ooh. <sighs> when a Scottish fleet came to her aid, Governor Bingham routed them with his English ships, and he put 1,400 sailors to the sword in one massive slaughter. And then he sent his brother, John Bingham, to visit Grainne Whale under the auspices of Parley. Mm. Of course, <laughs> she agrees to meet with him, Parley. And Parley. instead, he captured her, tied her up, 
brought her to Governor Bingham, where she discovered all her extended relatives, all the Burks, had also been captured. Mm. And while she was locked up with them, he executed every one of them. <sighs> like, this is... It's one thing to be like, pirates! Yeah. Then the movies, but the brutality of it in real life? Wow. I cannot imagine. So every one of the Burks is dead, except Grania Whale, because she was made to witness it all. Mm. And for her, he builds a special gallows. Her execution is going to be the spectacle of spectacles. Mm. Governor Bingham is readying for the great and glorious day. But as 1588 looms closer, the world has lost interest. Does mm. that date ring a bell? 1588? Everyone's forgotten about Grace O'Malley, and instead uh, they're talking about... Spain? Spain is readying this massive fleet, mm -hmm. getting ready to invade England, the Spanish Armada. Mm -hmm. Then... Richard Bingham gets the summons. Return to England right now and help us defend ourselves against this impending invasion. So she's set free. Wow. Why doesn't he just quickly execute her and then... Uh-huh. I guess if he couldn't have his grand moment... It's mysterious. Did Elizabeth go, hey? That's what I wonder. Some people say we'd have a record if she did, but she had this incredibly effective spy network. Oh, yeah, she sure. She could send a message without it showing up on the official record. Sure, she knew how to operate behind the scenes mm -hmm. all the time. So, yo-ho, back to the sea with me! I certainly wouldn't want to be... I mean, if that's what she did when they broke the rules in a smaller oh. way, ah. I certainly would not want to be... In her vicinity now. Yes. So I guess it's good for Richard Bingham that he's been called away. Yeah. But like I said, they are equal matches in bitterness. Mm -hmm. And this, this feud is to the death. Yeah. No sooner is she back than the whole Spanish Armada saga goes down, which, short version, Spain invades England. <laughs> Um, a divine wind, a storm rolls in, and <laughs> the ships bashed against each other, and then they actually had to go on the run. The only safe way to get back to Spain was to go up and around. So they go up and around Scotland, and then around Ireland to try to get back to Spain. Mm. So in a weird twist of fate, at least 26 of them wrecked off the coast of Ireland. So like, uh. here she is. And the Spanish ships have just, like, arrived on her front yeah. doorstep. England is frantically hunting them down. But when these English agents get to Connacht, there's no sign of anything. <laughs> Everyone in the whole of Connacht is like, the Spanish who? What? No. No, I can't say I've seen anything, anything at all like that. <laughs> and secretly, inside a church where sanctuary is guaranteed, mm. Grace O'Malley, and what is left of her allies, mm. met with a high-ranking English diplomat, and they hand over this massive book. And it is a list of all of the horrors perpetrated by Governor Bingham. Mm. 
Grace O'Malley says, my quarrel is not with England. My quarrel is with Richard Bingham. Remove him, she says, and I can tell you the location of the Spanish wrecks and their soldiers. (laughs) (laughs) Bingham gets wind of it. Give me ships, he says. And in 1592, a massive English fleet arrived at Clue Bay, routed out every single hiding place, found almost every single one of her ships, captured her men, brought her to her knees. Okay, now here's a passage from Anne Chambers' book. She says it so well at this moment in Grace O'Malley's life. I mean, at this point, she is in her 60s. Wow. Her eldest son murdered, her second son under the heel of her enemy, her ships, cattle, and horse herds confiscated, her territory destroyed, and most of all, her freedom of movement, especially by sea, restricted. All had as their source her arch enemy, Sir Richard Bingham. For another of similar age, sex, and circumstances, it would have been understandable to have surrendered to such seemingly insurmountable difficulties, to have laid down the sword and bowed to the inevitable. But not for someone who had fought for survival for over 40 years, who had fearlessly sailed the wild western coastline, who had endured imprisonment and deprivation, who had fought with sword in hand by land and sea, and, as a later poet wrote of her, one who had dared the tempest in its midnight wrath and through opposing billows cleft her fearless path. (laughs) It was simply not in her character, even at this late stage of her life, to capitulate. And in the spring of 1593, in her stark fortress at Rockfleet, Grania Whale was already plotting her next move. you know what she did if there wasn't real evidence of it i would not believe it Mm. (laughs) there was no one left who could help her no one left who might understand so she decided just gotta take my case right to the top the very top like the queen like the queen (laughs) of england and so in in 1593 grace went to London to meet Elizabeth to Greenwich Castle. (laughs) Wow. One does not simply sail into (laughs) Greenwich Palace and say, I'm here to speak with the Queen. But that's exactly what she did. Also, especially when one is a (laughs) notorious pirate. Hey, it's me. I'm here. That person you're all trying to arrest. Exactly. So Grace would have left here in her boat, left Clue Bay to sail up to Greenwich Village. But these two, um, all along the Thames, they used to hang the bodies of pirates as warnings to other pirates saying, this is your fate. So she would have had to sail past all of that, knowing she could have easily end up there. And she would have been in, in, in 1593, she would have been 63 years of age. I mean, famous courtiers have been waiting for like, Sometimes years they go to the waiting room every day hoping to meet with her and they're never allowed in. And she literally rolls up in her pirate ship. Remember me that you've heard tales of for 40, 50 years and I keep defying your rule? I would like to speak with you. Wow. Wow. Oh, to be a fly on the wall in that meeting. Nobody knows what was said. 
There's actually, um, Anne Chambers wrote a play. It's, it's the meeting between Elizabeth and Grace. Oh. It's incredible. It's an incredible play. Um, just the, these two women on, on stage kind of, go, you know, kind yeah. of do monologues and, and talk to each other. It's very, very good. The woman they had playing uh, Grace in her older years, it's, it's nearly how I would picture Grace O'Malley, you know, kind of solid, um, but a real thick Irish accent and you know of course Grace would have only spoken Gaelic mm-hmm. um, and seemingly the meeting was in Latin between um, Grace and Elizabeth that was their only common language Wait, just a pirate who speaks Latin yeah I know that's, <laughs> that's not how any of this works exactly exactly and it's these two elderly women in a man's world yeah and the two women they would have been similar age um, at that stage, and of course, two women in power was highly unusual. The story is that they that they got on quite well. That Grace kind of came in, going, "I'm a queen in my own right," meeting uh, my fellow queen. But you know, but they they seem to have connected with that. As a result, she got all her property back. She got all her power back. The queen even signed off on her pirating because she agreed to only attack other countries. Yeah, just Ships. be a privateer now. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, Grace came home victorious from this meeting. Her son and her half-brother were released and Richard Bingham was banished or he was sent away from, from Connacht, kind of with his tail between his legs going, see ya, see ya buddy. Recalled to England <laughs> where he was promptly thrown in prison. Wow. <laughs> I cannot believe that really happened. Wow. Must have felt unbelievable oh, to her. This man that had been her arch enemy for decades until that she finally kind of had that release come back victorious. She returns to the sea. And documentation show that uh, Grace was still sailing the seas at 68 years of age. Um, so she, you know, she was, as I say, she was some woman for one woman, you know. So she's just, she just lived this incredible, hard, hard, hard life. I mean, she was battling always, you know, really fighting for her, her land, for her family, for her clan. Um, yeah, she must have been exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> She died in 1603, so she was 73 years of age. And actually, Elizabeth I died in 1603 as well, so the two women died the same year. She was probably the last of the real old traditional way of Irish living, the clan chieftain way of life. And it really was the end of an era. In three more years, all the various Irish rebels would flee. It's called the Flight of the Earls, and that's Mm. generally considered to be the end of the Gaelic world in Ireland. Mm. So in hindsight, I mean, we can easily see that she was living on the tail end of a way of life that was just not destined to continue into Mm. the future. And really, on on the grand scale, it was a broad battle between a lifestyle of tribalism and a lifestyle of the centralized state. Mm. And she just did not want things to change. Yeah. 
and Bingham made it his life's mission to eliminate all those who are clinging to the past, to these old tribal ways. He said, mm. you can't reason with them. You simply must eliminate them. And though she couldn't stop time, she did live such a story <laughs> that the Gaelic way of life was at least preserved down through the centuries in the tales, yeah. in the stories that people told about her. It becomes this romantic this romantic ideal instead of the embarrassing old-fashioned thing we should have disposed of. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing that I'm always like so aware of that I can feel that I romanticize it yeah. too. Like, oh, the wild freedom of it. But also, you know, the endless slaughter and violence and hatred. Yeah. It's, it killed a lot yeah. of people. They were yeah, people. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's interesting though, to watch how her story is used and yeah. claimed over time. Yeah. And here's actually a ballad from 1798. And I think it's really interesting. It's a big, long ballad, but here's just a short passage that shows 200 years later how they're seeing that lost world of Grace O'Malley, the way that they're presenting it. And sweet to see their ruddy bloom, whom ocean's friendly distance preserved still unenslaved, for whom no tasking of existence made this one rich and that one poor in gold's elusive treasure. But all of easy life secure were rich in wealth of leisure, rich in the muse's pensive hour, in genial hour for neighbor, rich in young mankind's happy power, to live with little labor. <laughs> the wise, free way of life, indeed, that still with charm adaptive, reclaims and tames the alien greed and takes the conqueror captive. <laughs> I mean, if it really was that way, <laughs> yeah. then I would mourn its loss too. Like kind right. of turning it into this, they had time and equality and <laughs> yeah i've certainly never heard a, a sailing life be described as abundant in leisure yeah and <laughs> and free of greed yeah <laughs> and personally the tribal lifestyle i am not hankering for that to make a comeback yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and i mean this kind of goes all the way back to our very first episode should we fight for a way of life she certainly did to the end. She yeah. was fighting to the nail for a way of life. The cultural system by which we live today will be obsolete in the future. Yeah. Our way of life will die out. <laughs> so I kind of feel like instead it's better at times of change, times of real change. We know what that feels like. <laughs> I think it's better to try to understand, try to bridge the divide mm. and in a very interesting epilogue that's actually what Tibet Nelong did I was gonna say whoa what? did she get her son back aha uh -huh. yes but he had been raised English mm -hmm. and he was able to see both worlds mm. he bridged them mm. and when she died he became the new leader of Connacht working with the English he joined the two worlds together. Hmm. 
And though she could not stop the tide of change, she did survive. I mean, she lived into her 70s, a pirate. Yeah. Boy, did she survive. She lost it all and came back over and over and over. Yeah, I mean, she survived. Literally everyone around her died because exactly. of her choices. <laughs> She's a Greek tragedy, except she didn't die. Maybe that's the worst tragedy, right? Maybe. Like that you lose. To live without everybody. Everyone, everyone around you has died because of you, because mm. of your decisions, and you have to live mm. with that. Yeah. Oh, and I wonder if it was hard, if it was hard to live with, or if, like, her guiding star is take revenge. Yeah. Stomp out your enemies. And so, for her, there almost was no choice. Yeah. This is, this is what must happen. And Richard Bingham, too, lost everything. Good. And... The only person who came out all right was the one who tried to bridge yeah. the two worlds, Tibbet and Ilong. Hmm. Huh. Also, we need to do better at naming. Why aren't we naming our children things like... Like Toby of the Ships. Toby of the Ships. Grace's story is all based on survival. Mm. Um, I think everything that she did in her life was for survival um, and fighting to the bitter end, you know, uh, and that's how I picture it, is like somebody who's in survival mode all mm. the time, mm. um, fighting her corner, fighting for her family, fighting for her, her clan. Um, and that's why I, I always, I, that's what I think probably made her as strong and as driven as she was, was for that, to survive. Um, hmm. She had so many forces against her. That's our Grace O'Malley. Yeah. <laughs> An amazing, amazing woman. Special thanks to Catherine Connolly and Darren at Westport House for such a warm welcome, even though, true to form, I showed up totally out of the blue. If you want to learn more about Grace O'Malley, there is so much more to learn. You head to our website, whatshernamepodcast.com, where we've got all Anne Chambers books and more. And if you're in Ireland, I highly recommend a visit to Westport House Estate. There's the historic house for adults, there's a pirate theme park for kids, and coming in 2026, an immersive Grace O'Malley experience that they have been working on for years. Music for this episode was provided by Half Pelican, Fiddlesticks, David Lim, Kevin McLeod, Doug Maxwell, and Daniel Foster-Smith. Our interns are Kira Maxwell and Katie Boucher. 
Thank you so much for donating as little as a buck a month on Patreon to help make more episodes happen. It really means the world to us. And thank you for listening. <laughs>